Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Happy to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in with us, and uh, I hope that you will have a real blessing today as we are continuing to look into the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Before we start this uh, study today, I'd like to just welcome um, our panel here, and I will start with um, a gentleman who I haven't seen for a while. Uh, Harvey, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's nice to be here again. Good to have you with us, Harvey. And Ken, good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. Always great to be here. Len, thanks for joining uh, this Bible study. Well, in reality, it's a privilege. And hello, listeners. Our facilitator for today is Helen. And um, very thankful to you, Helen, again, that you put some time to prepare this uh, Bible study. And uh, I will just uh, hand the microphone to you and welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Nick. It is a privilege. Thank you, Lane, for that. Um, it's an exciting privilege. I think this particular um, chapter means, well, I don't think I know, it means a lot to me because it was through this particular chapter that I came to know that there is a God who is from everlasting to everlasting and a God who loves me as well as you. So for me, this, this is uh, such a privilege to share. But let's look back a little minute. Daniel 1 that we studied last week. That began with the theme of temperance and its correlation with spiritual revelations. Chapter 2 that we're going to study today contains the theme of prayer and its relationship with spiritual revelation. The prophecy of Daniel 2 offers a panoramic view of history from the time of the Babylonian Empire to the end of the ages. It is just amazing. If you have not studied this before, fasten your seatbelts because you're just going to really, really have a most amazing time. But this is important prophetic dream was not given to Daniel or some other prophet. Rather, it was given to a pagan king, which tells me that God acts in very strange ways sometimes. But before we get into it, I'm going to ask Ken, would you have prayer with us, please, Ken? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to put your words over the air. We pray, Lord God, for all our listeners that would pay particular attention to this absolutely amazing book. As I've said before, I think it's one of the greatest books in the Bible because it tells the history of the world up until the return of Jesus, which we're all anticipating. Heavenly Father, I pray that you may bless the listeners and encourage them through the Holy Spirit to look further into Daniel and to follow this series as we talk about it every week. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Ken. As I said, it's quite a, quite an amazing um, chapter that we're going to study. If listeners, you have a Bible near you, I'd encourage you to open it to Daniel 2 and read along with us. If you don't, I've asked Len to start us off with reading Daniel 2, 1 to 16. Thank you, Len. Well, I'm reading from the New International Version, and this is quite a, a lengthy section, so you'll have to bear with me, listeners. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon, had dreams. His mind was troubled, troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. 
You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might in interpret the dream for him. I find this is rather interesting in many ways, but I'd just like to make this comment. The astrologers, magicians and enchanters ask for time. The king refused them. Daniel asked for time, and we'll see what happens next. Listeners, I don't know about you, but I was sitting on the edge of my seat then. You're a great storyteller, Lee. <laughs> But, hey, it makes you want to know what happened next, but thank you for that. Harvey, I think you've got something to share with us, please. Yes. Dreams were taken very seriously in the ancient world. When a dream seemed foreboding, it often indicated an impending disaster. That, thus it is understandable why Nebuchadnezzar becomes so anxious about a dream that to make things even more ominous, he can no longer remember it. Babylonian experts believed that the gods could reveal the interpretation of dreams. But in the case of this dream in Daniel, there is nothing that the experts can do because the king had forgotten the dream. If the content of the dream was, were conveyed to them, they would come up with an interpretation to please the king. But in this unprecedented situation, when the dream experts are unable to tell the king what his dream is about, they are forced to admit that there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Thank you, Harvey. Very interesting comments. I'm, I'm intrigued, though. Many people have dreams. So, panel, I'm going to ask a question. And the question is this. How can you know when a dream comes from God? It's a terrible question to ask. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> because, to be quite honest, I don't know. Okay. Thank you I for being honest. I have some ideas. Mm -hmm. One is the fact that God gives dreams of significance. It's a good point. I mean, we can sometimes dream all sorts of rubbish. My wife tells me her dreams. I don't seem to dream much, but she dreams all these crazy things. I don't think those dreams come from God. But God gives dreams of significance. Okay. Just quickly, many years ago, my parents bought a property down at the River Murray. There was one almond tree on the property. My mother dreamed a dream that the river flooded and that the water came up to that almond tree about, well, it'd have to be at least 10 metres, probably more above its normal level. Do you know what? The water came up to that almond tree and that's where we used to tie up our boat. Now, whether that came from God or not, I have no idea. Yes. But I do think God gives dreams of importance and significance. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought I... Ken, did you want to say something? Uh, well, I was just going to add to that real quickly. Uh, not necessarily maybe dreams, which I'm sure people do get, but over the years, I'm sure we've all had incidences where uh, something has come into your head not to do something or not to go somewhere and later on you find out there's been a major incident, accident or something has happened 
And as the Bible tells us, all good things come from the Lord. So I think God has sent us angels to to uh, pass these things on to us that we, we shouldn't do this or go here at this particular time. I think if we look at the question of dreams and whether they come from God or not, I suppose one of the great things is that if the dream has spiritual significance and for that reason we'd say it could be from God, I think the number one thing we have to say, does it equate with what the scripture says? If the scripture has said something and doesn't disagree with it, I think we can say that perhaps, not perhaps, probably the dream is from God. That's a good answer. Yeah, there are uh, lots of good answers here. Well, I was uh, thinking of this uh, question a lot, uh, Helen, many other times. I can probably a little bit associate that with thoughts because, uh, you know, we may ask our question, how do we know if this thought is from God or is from the enemy? And people seem like to to struggle with that too, you know. But you had some good answers here that uh, when you're thinking of of something and you can compare that with the Bible and you can see if if your thoughts are from God or from, from the enemy. But in this case... Even what Harvey was just saying, that uh, um, if that uh, realized with the Bible and so, uh, you know, you have a good chance to say, can come from God. But in our case, this dream, you wouldn't have a clue. It was nothing spiritual there in in first place of the dream. But uh, what's most important is that when you have a, a dream and a significant dream, you have the only chance to be assured that that uh, dream has also a, a interpretation or a relevance to you if you go and seek God. Mm-hmm. You cannot just mm-hmm. interpret that. Uh, if you have a dream, you, you cannot just interpret, I have a dream from God tonight. You have to check with God. Mm-hmm. And God will confirm that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what God did in the Bible mm-hmm. many times. He will, he will confirm what his plans are with you. And in this case, I don't want to jump the gun, but we'll see that even children of God, they will go to ask their God for the dream Mm. and for the interpretation. Mm. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Actually, Harvey started it off with the answer which I would have come back to was, um, say, for example, somebody dreams, a guy dreams of a beautiful woman and thinks that the dreams come from God, that he's got to marry her, but he's already married. Would that be a dream from God? No, we would know with an assurity that goes against what God says. So that's one way. But I think the other thing is Daniel was so confident in his God. I believe that he had peace in his heart knowing that he could ask wisdom. And the Bible says this in James 1.5. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, come and ask. You know, and it will be granted. And so, yes, we've got to be very careful, number one. But number two, I think when you walk with the Lord, there is that peace. I, I remember when I said to the doctor when he, he was trying to find my lung that had collapsed and he had been collapsed for a while, and he came back and said, I can't find it. And I, I just, I was so sure a miracle had happened. And indeed it did. It was just this, it was just an uncanny sort of a, a sense that seems to come in. Harvey, you wanted to say something. Yeah, just a point. Nick made a point there. Um, He said the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had wasn't a spiritual dream. Admittedly, it was history, but it certainly ended up with spiritual aspect to it. Absolutely. But what I'm trying to say, the first look, when you look at the dream, you don't have hints, oh, this is a, a spiritual dream, you know. But of course, it was from God, because as you said, it revealed the whole history of the you know the, those big empires in our uh, in our time you know but let's remember yeah, that, up, sorry sorry i was just going to say let's remember that the king knew this dream was very important he didn't just dismiss it something was there that said this is very important and i need to remember it and i think oh, that's this, a key thing the, yeah that one uh, on yes. that one helen because how to say we need to look in what the Bible says, but it may be more than what the Bible recorded, you know, in, in how the king felt about that. The only one thing which is clear in the Bible says that the king was troubled. That That's important. The king was troubled. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how, because he forgot the dream, I'm not sure how much he knew about the importance of the dream, mm. but he was troubled. He was, mm. you know, not at peace. Mm-hmm. Harvey? The situation with this particular dream 
is that most of the dream was history in advance. Mm-hmm. Which we're going to find out very yes, soon. Yes, yes, I'm not going to go yes. into all the details, <laughs> of course, but... Yeah. That's the point, but it ends up with a very spiritual dis- dimension. Well, yes, that's true. One of this, the greatest predictive prophecies of Scripture was given at this time, but it was given to a heathen monarch. Are you aware of that? Mm. This monarch was a heathen. So, panel, I have another question to ask. Why did God give the dream first to Nebuchadnezzar rather than to Daniel? Well, I reckon if Daniel had just waltzed in and said to the king, King, I've got something to tell you, the king would have probably laughed at him. Mm-hmm. But because the king was, uh, as Nick pointed out, and was mentioned in the section where I read, because the king was troubled, he was curious, he knew there was something, but he just couldn't put his finger on it. Mm-hmm. So he was the inquirer, which is different than when somebody waltzes up and says something to you. Mm-hmm. If you want to know, you really want to know, and so you will do your best to find out. Good point. There's another mm-hmm. thing. Nebuchadnezzar was a heathen king, a pagan king, and this was a part of a number of events that occurred that actually brought him to acknowledge that he wasn't the greatest thing in the universe, that God... The creator God was higher than him. So I think there are two things there. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Ken, you wanted to say something? I was just going to add that, yes, I was thinking the same thing. There were two things. Firstly, of course, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was involved. And it's really interesting that he completely forgets the dream, but he realizes it's very, very important. Now, I think perhaps, and look, this is only an assumption, the reason, another reason why he didn't give the dream to Daniel was to check, uh, test his faith, perhaps. And uh, because we all know that God loves faith, and uh, faith's only something if you can actually use it. So here, uh, Daniel's life is on the line, and he puts his trust in God, and he's rewarded. It's a good angle, mm. yes. Another thing which uh, we can um, look at is that, unfortunately, many times, People believe that they are the only ones, the chosen ones, which God cared of. And, uh, you know, the Jewish people fall into that temptation, you know, and they thought they are the only one and the rest of the world, uh, they are just uh, out of the picture. That's not true. God loved so much the world that he gave his only son to die for each one of us, uh, that we may, uh, you know, repent and, and come to know him. Here it's a crucial point to understand. If we can work together with those people, even those who don't know God, as uh, Len mentioned, that dream was a very significant for the future, for uh, for the king, because he came to realization that, we'll see later on, I don't want to, mm-hmm. to, to go further, when he will recognize the living mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And I, I will just end with this. Don't exclude don't be exclusivist. As far as the dream coming to Nebuchadnezzar, I believe one of the main reasons it went to Nebuchadnezzar was that this dream had significance for everybody in all time. And it had much greater significance coming to the king than it would have been to a lesser person or what uh, people that were thought of being lesser. That's a good point, Harvey. But yeah. Nebuchadnezzar... Yeah. He was so troubled by it that God obviously put in his brain, this is very important. You have to know what this dream was about. Mm -hmm. And so he took some fairly extreme measures, didn't he, (laughs) to say the least. I have to put my hand up and say my turn, please. I I know, well, you'll say after, because, you know, this (laughs) discussion is great because, you know, we we can think of all sorts of things. Now, what Harvey just said, very important to come through the king, but doesn't mean for one bit that a simple person wouldn't have the same influence if they rely on God. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing, you know, sometimes we're looking to the people, you know, in a higher uh, social statues and mm-hmm. so on and say, oh, if they say something that must be... No, every one of us, each one of us, if we give ourselves to God, we can turn around the world. 
That is true. I'm having to put my hand up so I can have a word here. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, that is so, so true. However, the king was in a very influential position, wasn't he? I, I just jotted down a couple of notes I'd like to share with you um, why God gave the dream first. God was trying to reach Nebuchadnezzar through the dream. Bible prophecy is redemptive in nature. It's not just about predictions and fulfillment. It's about saving people. And ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar, as we've mentioned, was converted through a series of events that began with prophetic illumination. And the other reason I have here is another reason is that first uh, message was given to Nebuchadnezzar first was to reveal to him the futility of seeking truth apart from God's messengers, his prophets. Human vessels were chosen to deliver supernatural revelations. You notice that he went to his astrologers and the wise men there and they couldn't help him. So seeking spiritual truth from other thoughts, example, academic institutions, palm readers, secular thoughts, they all fall short of God's prophetic word found in Scripture. The book of Daniel reveals the supremacy of Scripture above every other source of knowledge. Well, let's move on. Verse 16 tells us that Daniel went in before the king. Len, can you give some examples in Scripture where others did the same? Well, I was thinking of two things. Number one, somebody who went in before the king was Queen Esther. Yes. Who was not invited. That's the key. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the rule over there was if the king was in a bad mood and you went in uninvited, it was off with your head. That's the mm-hmm. end of the matter. Mm-hmm. But he obviously loved Esther and he might have been in a good mood. And what happened with this? Uh, she was the means by which hundreds and thousands and probably even more than that people were saved because of her brave actions. Oh, bless you. Can you think of anybody else? Moses Mm. went in before the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, with uh, a a command, or command request, said, let my people go. The king wasn't too happy about that, and the king was sorry about it afterwards. But there was another one, with someone went in before the king. This was King David. And the person who went in before him was Nathan the prophet who pointed out how the king had been covering up a heinous crime that he had committed with murder and adultery and he told a little parable and David was really upset and Nathan pointed his bony finger at David and he said, Thou art the man. Mm. Now that, that also had a big response David repented of his sins. He even wrote a psalm, I think it was Psalm 53, about how he regretted being unfaithful to God and to other people. So there are two other instances. Yes, the other one, thank you very much, Lynn. The other one I was thinking of was Elijah, when he went to the king and he said it it wasn't going to rain, remember? And um, that was an interesting time as well. But these people showed remarkable courage, each one standing up for God whom they believed in. I believe there's a lesson for us right there, isn't there? That we need to stand up and be counted for God. And it could have eternal, it may not, but it could have eternal consequences. Can I just say something here, Helen? Yes. We need to stand up. If we don't stand for something... We'll fall for anything. That's so true. (laughs) So true. But just imagine for a moment, imagine that you were Daniel and you were going to the most powerful, temperamental king who just angrily ordered your death. You know, how would you feel? I I would be shaking in fear, but Daniel wasn't. Daniel didn't shrink in fear. However, he confidently believed God would tell him what the king wanted to know. But he wasn't arrogant about it if you watch the story through. Ken, when the king gave Daniel time to find the answer, what did Daniel do next? Well, I'm going to read from the King James Version, uh, starting Daniel 2 and verse 17. Then Daniel went into his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be thy name for ever and ever, for wisdom are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desire of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. So we can see here that the first thing Daniel did was discuss it with his friends. Then they all prayed to the Lord God, and he answered them. Okay, thank you. Yes, Lynn. Well, when I finished reading the passage that I read earlier, there was a question floating in the air. Why did the king refuse to give the enchanters, uh-huh. astrologers, etc., etc., more time? But when Daniel asked more time, he uh, was granted this request. Now, I think there's something we have to read between the lines here where Daniel said to the king something like this. It's not recorded in the Bible. King, I can't answer the question, but my God can. Give me some time to consult with him. And I think that's the only reason why Daniel said, I can't do it, or the king would have said off with his head. I believe that the king respected Daniel too for his... Um, connection with God, yes, Harvey. I'd like to ask a question here. Did the wise men initially ask for extra time, or did the king accuse them of putting, you know, asking for time? I think that's more what happened, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But certainly the king, you know, Daniel made the request for time, and I suspect he was a very respected um, person in the eyes of the king because he had granted them extra time. I think the, f- the fact was that the astrologers were actually seeking for extra time mm. and the king could th- see through their plan. He said you were playing for time, yes. basically. Yes, and he could see through their plan. And I think that's what made him angry because if somebody tells you a dream, you can make up anything. But only God of heaven can tell what that person dreamed. Yeah. There's a big, big difference there. Let me just mention that, yeah, you said that, you know, his three friends prayed. Yes, the first thing he did was, Daniel did, was he went to his three friends, didn't he? There's a lesson here for us. You know, he grabbed his three friends, they had a prayer session, and they, he explained to them that they would be executed if God didn't reveal the dream. So that was how important it was. But I believe there's a lesson there for us. You know, whenever we face a big problem, we also should recognize that our God is great enough to resolve even the most unsolvable challenges. That's where the faith comes in. Okay, now let's move on. Harvey, Ken just read about these prayers. There were two types of prayers mentioned here. What were they? I think we could say there's two types at least in this mm-hmm. um, this Two passage. main ones. One was a prayer of praise and it ended as a prayer of thanks. I, I agree with the praise part and I agree with the thanksgiving, but there was also, they, they go together. Len? Well... I find the other part is a request. Yeah, petition. Yes. Yeah. Like that Jesus was a bit said, I mm. Ask and you mm-hmm. shall receive. And we are invited to ask God. And that was the second part of the prayer. I agree that there was thanksgiving and praise, but also request. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. In fact, when you read that that um, prayer that Daniel said I, I just I just stand back in awe you know he's praising the name of God but he's virtually saying that God controls God give, removes kings God gives wisdom and knowledge God reveals deep and mysterious things and he knows what lies hidden in darkness that's a pretty big summary isn't it you know this is a, an omnipotent God this is an all powerful God we're talking about here and and Daniel he acknowledged it but how often my friends do we forget how often do we go with a petition and, you know, and, and what happens? God grants that petition and then we go about our business. You know, we need to be more in the habit of saying, thank you, God. I know families that ask a grace before the meal, but they also say a grace after. 
they thank God for what they've they've eaten, which I think is really really interesting. Okay, let's just move on. Um, Len, you've got something to share with us, I believe. Well, in response to God's answering their petition, Daniel and his friends burst into prayer with thanksgiving and praise. They praise God for being the source of wisdom and for being in control of nature and political history. There's an important lesson that we can learn here. As we pray and plead with God for so many things, how often do we praise and thank him for answering our prayers? The experience of Jesus with the ten lepers provides an apt illustration of human ingratitude. Out of ten who are healed, only one comes back to give glory to God. And that's, you can read about that in Luke 17, verse 18. Daniel's response not only reminds us of the importance of thanksgiving and praise, but also reveals the character of the God we pray to. When we pray to him, we can trust him to do what is in our best interest. And thus we should always praise and thank him. Now I think there's something important here. We can expect him to do what's in our best interest, not what we think we should have. That's right. Example, when I was a kid, I prayed that when we went to heaven, I could take the tractor. Well, as I think about it now, it's Was it a toy tractor or a full-blown tractor? No, it was a farm tractor, which I used to drive. But uh, no, that that wasn't in my best interest. It wasn't in anyone else's best interest, Mm. my own selfish interest. Yes, he answers our our needs, not our wants. And I think I mentioned this last week that um, Billy Graham's wife said that if God had answered all her wants, she would have married the wrong man several times. And I I guess many of us can relate to that. Nick, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to to go back uh, a little bit to that thing which can um, stay uh, still a, a question mark in our minds. That question mark which we have sometime, why... God is answering to this person or uh, not answering to that person. And in, in this case, it's very interesting that David, uh, Daniel, didn't come with uh, necessarily a different offer to the king. He asked the king exactly the same things like the, the other wise men of Babylon asked. And that was the thing. King, I will tell the interpretation. He was not saying anything about that he was will be able to tell the king the dream. But here I learned a lesson. Even though we, we mentioned that the king may have the sympathy towards Daniel, or the king had high regard towards this young man, I believe more than that. I believe that God has a plan, and everything was in his hands. I believe so. And God will do things as he... No is best. And sometimes, even though, uh, Len, you mentioned that uh, God will always work for our best. Of course, as you just said, not as we think it's best for us, but he thinks it's best for us. And most of the times, we, we wouldn't like to go maybe to that path which awaits us. Mm. But God knows the end. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to trust in him yep. and have faith in God. Thank you, Nick. Um, listeners, you might be in a position where you don't know as yet how to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. I could recommend that you use Psalm 138. It can help us in being thankful to God. Take time to have a look at that one. But we've just seen there's a crisis in Babylon. Daniel and his three friends pray. God answers to their prayers, impacts not only their circumstances, but we will see that it also changed Christianity's understanding of prophetic history forever. And it all began in a small group prayer meeting. Harvey, how about sharing? It's a fairly long one too. I hope we've got time to get through it. Daniel two twenty four to 30. Yes. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, 
I have found a man of the captives of, captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes whom make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Well, thank you, Harvey. I know that was a long section, but it was very important that we, we read it. Uh, interesting that Daniel immediately went to the king. He got the answer from God and, and he didn't sort of hesitate. He went straight in. But Harvey, the, the other question I'd like to ask you just before Nick says something, what does Daniel say here that's so important for us to always remember? I think it was where I sort of emphasised a bit in the middle there yes. to, to some degree. It says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret thing which the king has demanded and these people couldn't do it. But there is a God in heaven who can do it, and he does reveal secrets. Yes. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So the he issue acknowledged is, it came from God. Yes, the issue yes. is, I can't do it. He didn't take the yes. credit himself. Yes. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it any better, really, than the rest of them could. Yes. But there is a God who actually has shown to me yes. what your dream was and the interpretation. Mm, he wasn't out to just help himself either, was he? No. He was trying to help the others. And how easy, as I said before, how easy we take credit for what God does through us. It robs God of honour that he alone deserves. Nick, you mm. wanted to say something? Yeah, here we have the answer, actually, which we're, just, we're looking for why uh, the king granted uh, Daniel with more time. Because mm. Daniel just frankly came before the king and said there is God in heaven. What again uh, I learned here an amazing, an amazing thing all those wise men of Babylon, they declare that only the gods can um, know that you know, and can reveal to you but those gods are not living among men and flesh on this earth and Daniel is coming and say there is a God, a living God who can reveal to you, which means that living God live among us. What an amazing lesson for us mm -hmm. today that we are here with God on our side, with God who can take care of us all every day, every minute, every moment of our life. That's an amazing lesson. And we're talking about the God of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of the great creator. That You're right, it's amazing. Thank you, Len. It's been said but I want to say it slightly differently. Daniel did not want to accept any accolades on his own part. He acknowledged that God was supreme. But you know, the same lesson was being taught to Nebuchadnezzar, mm -hmm. that although he was the world leader at that particular time, that he <coughs> was to learn the lesson that God is supreme. Absolutely, thank you. Um, Ken? Uh, I'm reading from the King James Version. It's uh, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Now again, this, this is a really amazing uh, uh, passage, and it really explains that if we are in tune with God, he will bless it in so many ways, and we will be able to do much work for him. So this is the key to what Daniel and our consistent prayer life can be. Um, Len, what does it mean to abide? You know, it said about the vine and abiding. Well, we're talking about spiritually. There's an 
allegory or an analogy given about the vine and the branches. But First John chapter 4, verse 15 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So the first thing that must be done is to acknowledge God. And believe. Thank you. Harvey? I think the second thing we could say is that we should receive him as Saviour and Lord. In John 1, that's Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So we need to receive him as Saviour and Lord. Yes. That's it. Great. And Ken, you got something on that one? Yes, I think uh, another important, uh, well, very important part of this is doing what the Lord says. For example, we keep his commandments and uh, do what God has requested us to do, as told about in First John uh, chapter 4 and verse 24. Was that four? Was it? I thought it was chapter three, but oh, I beg, mm-hmm. I beg your no. pardon. Was ch- sorry, oh, chapter three. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that gives us the idea of what the key is for our consistent prayer life: believe in, in that Jesus is God's Son, receive Him as Savior and Lord, and do what He says. Len, I know time is running very fast, but I would love you to read the rest of the story. Daniel two thirty one and forty nine. We're sitting on the edge of our seats. I'd have to ask you to read a little faster. Because it's a long passage, but could you do it for me, please? All right, we'll get to the nitty-gritty. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and gold were broken in pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of black baked clay and partly of iron, So this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly of iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with black baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation trustworthy. Wow. 
Let's not make a comment on that at the moment. As I said, time is short, but there is so much in that, and we are going to add something very, very quickly. But, Len, thank you so much for sharing with us on that one. Um, Harvey, you had something very quickly you wanted to share? Daniel explains that the different metals represent successive kingdoms that will replace one another throughout the course of history. For Nebuchadnezzar, the message's clear. Babylonia, with all its might and glory, will pass away and be replaced by another kingdom, which will be followed by others until a kingdom of a completely different nature will replace them all, God's eternal kingdom, well, which will a- last forever. Right, great. Harvey, that was going to be my next question. What does this teach us about God's foreknowledge of world history? Well, he can do something that we can't do, isn't it? And that is, we can't tell what's the next second, let alone Mm -hmm. the next millennium, or as in this passage, Mm -hmm. it's uh, several millenniums. Yes, thank you. About three millenniums nearly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's amazing. God can see in advance. We can't. He's a God eternal, isn't he? Absolutely. Thinking of that, that God knows everything from the beginning, we understand that everything what happened on this earth and in the whole universe is because God is in control and because God knows everything. Unfortunately, even in our days, and so in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, there were people who didn't believe in God or didn't have an understanding of the living God, and uh, they just took life as a random thing, you know, just something happens and go and that's it. Mm-hmm. But actually, we are in this picture on which God is working so hard, even that much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us that we may live for him. Mm. So it's not eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die? Of course not. We have a destiny with God. That's true. Okay, let's have a quick look at this um, image. Ken, what does the head of gold represent, please? The head of gold represents Babylon, which uh, went from uh, 626 to 539 BC. Indeed, no other metal could be better represented than the power and wealth of the Babylonian Empire than gold. The Bible itself calls it the Golden City in Isaiah chapter uh, 14 and verse 4. And an empire than gold, the Bible, uh, sorry, um, and a golden cup in the Lord's hands in Jeremiah. The ancient historian Herodotus reports that an abundance of gold embellished that city, and it's the only one spoke of this way in the Bible. And Len, thank you, thank you for that, Ken. Len, what does the chest and arms of silver stand for? Well, I don't think the king liked this, because <laughs> it meant that his his uh, power and authority or the Babylonian power and authority was going to end. It wasn't going to last forever. Mm. And it's a wonder Daniel survived all this, but anyhow, the king was curious. The chest and arms of silver stand for Medo-Persia, and that empire went from 539 to 331 BC. That's almost 200 years. The Babylonian empire was a bit over 100 As silver is valued less than gold, the Medo-Persian Empire never attained the splendor of the Babylonian. In addition, silver also was a fitting symbol for the Persians because they used silver in their taxation system. How interesting was that? Yeah. Harvey, what does the belly and thighs of bronze symbolize? I won't go into much detail, but it's represented by the Kingdom of Greece which took over from the Medo-Persians and it eventually was overthrown as well. But it's the empire of Greece. Okay. It actually portrays the the Greeks as bartering bronze vessels, which I found interesting too. And they had their bronze armour and the helmets and shields all consisted of brass. Okay, let's move on. What do the legs of iron aptly represent, Ken? Well, they uh, represent the... uh Roman Empire and uh, they ran from 168 BC to AD 476 as Daniel explained the iron had the crushing power of the Roman Empire which lasted longer than any other previous kingdoms. Iron was a perfect metal to represent this empire because it was so destructive How interesting isn't it that they all were chosen and yet you know even their lifestyle 
um, epitomises the actual metal that was going to be used then. What does the feet partly of iron and partly of clay represent, please? Well, this is the fifth empire, mm -hmm. if we could call it that, mentioned in this timeline picture of world empires. And this represents a divided Europe commencing at the end of the Roman Empire in AD 476. And this empire would last until the return of Christ. The mixture of iron with clay provides a fitting picture of what happened after the disintegration of the Roman Empire. Although attempts have been made to unify Europe, ranging from marriage alliances between royal houses, that is, kings and princes, to the present European Union, division and disunity have prevailed, and according to this prophecy, will remain so until God establishes the eternal kingdom. Now, we can see this disunity right now. Ever heard of Brexit? Mm -hmm. England wants to pull out of the European Union. Have these, thank you, have these prophecies, any of them come true? Oh, they have. They have very much. I mean, it's history. I've studied world yes. history and English history. Babylon, or the Babylonian Empire, yes. was a world empire, followed by the Medo-Persian yes. Empire, followed by the Greek Empire, followed by the Romans, which was a longer-lasting one. And then we have this mixture these days. Mm -hmm. So... All this, what we've been saying, can be verified by history. That is exactly what got me when I first heard about Daniel 2. It blew my mind completely, myself and my brother. And we, we went actually to the history books. I thought, this cannot be so. How come we didn't know it? And that's what gave me a full trust in God, to know that God had prophesied all this through Daniel, and it came true. And if there was a God that could do that, I needed to serve that God. Mm. And he, he just changed my life completely from that moment on. And just that, uh, Helen, you mentioned that these prophecies came true. Uh, I like to just say this because um, uh, we're dealing with prophecy in various ways and some come true, some not, from some other people which claim that they are prophets. But what prophesies in the Bible 100% came true, particularly when we're talking about the apocalyptic Yes. type of prophecies they will 100% coming true now you'll have uh, you know people will look into what Nostradamus had to say or many others some may come true but most of them didn't and what come true uh, we have to talk another time maybe another bible study who can be uh, the back uh, the back of those uh, predictions yeah. if you like or prophecy because sometimes people use using that term prophecy for prediction too Thank you, Nick. Let me just mention for those listeners that, that um, didn't listen last week or weren't able to, there was the two types of prophecy we spoke about. We talked about apocalyptic, which was unconditional. You know, it was said it would happen, and that's what we see here. We also talked about classical prophecy, which was conditional. And if you look into scripture, you can see, for example, um, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, it wasn't that God changed his mind. It was a, it was a conditional prophecy that was coming about there. Okay, Harvey, would you like to read for us Daniel 34, 35, 44 and 45, please, very quickly, because we've only got a short time. We could, we could do with ours on this, Nick. <laughs> you watched while a stone was cut out without hands which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verses 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. 
the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, just a little point here. If you look at those metals, the softest metal is gold, the next softest is silver, and then it goes down to bronze, which is softer again, than, but certainly stronger than silver, and down to iron, which is the, the strongest, basically, of these metals mentioned. And I think that is significant, plus the fact of the value of them. In today's looking at these metals, the value is very much in the order that they are in the prophecy. But in the days when it was then, um, gold was much easier not to get, but easier to do things with than what any other metal was. In fact, iron probably wasn't even known about at that time. Anyway, yeah, well, it's an you. interesting yeah, concept. It is interesting. It. it is interesting. Len, what was actually cut out without hands and what does it represent? Well, it says a rock. We refer to the rock of ages. Basically, what this is saying is that God, who is ultimately in control, is going to set up his kingdom. Thank you, Len. Yeah. yeah. And isn't that, isn't that so interesting? So, Ken, what do these verses teach us about the ultimate fate of our world? Well, I think the Bible makes it very, very clear that the world and everything that's happening is in the hands of the Lord and he's predestined what is going to happen. And as if we look back in history, we can see these things have all come true. So it makes logical sense if everything else has come true, this last period of time that we're in will come true as well. Thank you. Absolutely. In other words, each of the previous kingdoms eventually comes to an end and the kingdom represented by stone will last forever. Let me just draw this all to a conclusion, listeners. There was a big scope of this whole dream that Daniel had. First, the dream disclosed a broad sweep of history from the Babylonian Empire to the end of the ages, and it was given to a pagan king to indicate the king of kings is the ultimate ruler of every human kingdom. And indeed, by means of the dream and the subsequent interpretation of it by Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar received a crash course on the philosophy of history. Second, the interpretation of the dream was revealed by God to Daniel. The Babylonians, despite all their training and scholarly publications on dream interpretation, proved themselves unable to access the only source of knowledge capable of solving that mystery. Third, as we contemplate the statue as a representation of the world empires and systems of power, we have the impression that much of what the statue represents still stands. However, as we look at the statue as a representation of the sequence of world empires, we realize that we are indeed living at the time of, an, of the end. But regardless of the chronology of the final events, we can live with the assurance that that stone is coming indeed on the way. Fourth, the dream must be understood in connection with the prayer in D of Daniel. Daniel's prayer is a focal point of this chapter and gives the most important theological statement about God's wisdom and power. And let me just say that a significant aspect of the dream is the assurance that we can entrust our lives to God. God is a true source of wisdom and power. He answered the prayer of Daniel and revealed the content and the interpreter of the dream of the prophet. Let, uh, to the prophet, let us worship and serve that God with confidence. You know, we may be dismayed, listeners, when we see evil people that prosper, but God is in control. And let this knowledge give you confidence and peace, no matter what happens. And I thank you all for listening. Let's finish with prayer. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have had the privilege of studying your word again today. We thank you for the prophecy as stated in Daniel chapter 2. It gives us confidence that all these things have happened exactly as was prophesied, that you provided that information. And the one thing that is yet to happen is the setting up of the eternal kingdom here on earth. But we can have confidence because everything else has been right and so we can be confident in the future that you have shown. May we each be part of that when we can be ready on that day to look up and say, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for him and he will save us. May that be our privilege for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Thank you very much for uh, this Bible study. Thank you, panel, for all your input. I'd like to say to the listeners that, um, you know, books like Daniel, 
as Revelation also. They are very important books for our days, and um, there are a, a number of studies available there. If you are not able to, you know, to listen frequently to this program and uh, and uh, for this Bible study, I'll encourage you to search for uh, for studies on the book of Daniel and Revelation. And I'd like you to give us a call, uh, if you like, and contact us in a way or the other that we'll be able to uh, give to you some of those uh, Bible studies. Also, keep an eye on um, the next programs because uh, we'll give you some more information about uh, some seminars coming up uh, here in Adelaide, which you can also be part of. Until then, may God be with you, bless you, and have a wonderful day.